That we look back, I think of September 11th. For those of us who are old enough and remember, it's hard to believe that I'm saying for those of us who are old enough to remember that, um, that that is a day that we will never forget where we were in that moment when we saw the, the towers fall. But there are also a lot of uh, good occasions in our life that we remember. And I think back uh, a week ago Saturday when I have never been more nervous in my life that I was speechless and the only thing that could come out was, will you marry me? And then shortly after, all right, you going to kiss me now? And so that's what I was, what I was waiting on. And I was so nervous. And, and we look back and we never forget those moments that we have in our life. But there's one moment that I'll never forget. And this is what Paul is trying to tell the church of Ephesus as he is trying to remind them to never forget the moment of their salvation. To never forget the moment when you met or heard of Jesus for the very first time. And specifically that moment when you surrendered your life to where God took control. I'll never forget for me it was a summer at youth camp when I just totally surrendered it all. It was a battle. It literally was a battle. And I was physically rocking back and forth in my seat because I knew the answer to the call was going to be very significant in my life. But I knew that it was something that I needed to follow through with because there would be nothing else that could ever be greater than in that moment. And so I found myself on my knees before the Lord just weeping in joy saying, God, I give my life to you. See, Paul wants us to go back to the moment where the psalmist writes in Psalm 51.12 where he says, Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. See, there are moments in our life when we have to go back and remember that moment when God did save us. Because the reality is just like David was experiencing in this psalm. That there are moments when we sin against God. And we realize that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But at the same time, as we grow in our relationship with him. That we need to remember that moment when we solidified that relationship. When we made it clear that we are a follower of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up and we'll begin reading in verse 8 through 10, Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. If you have a pen, I want you to circle three objects in this passage. I want you to circle the word you, the word God, and the gift. Because what you realize in this passage is that God provided a gift for you. And that you are very important in this passage and that you are very important to God. But there's also three nouns that I want you to underline. If you have your pen, you can go ahead and underline them. These are the words grace, faith, and works. Because these words play a role in the presentation of salvation. We'll explain to you what we're to look back on to have a full understanding of God's grace to us. So the first thing that we need to look at today, and one thing that Paul never wants us to forget, is that grace saves us. 
If you go back to verse 1 in this passage, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Well, why do we need grace? Because grace would not be presented to us if we did not need it. If God did not find, or if God, if God uh, did not have a reason to present us with grace, then we would not read it, and so or we would not need it. And the reason that we see in this passage is in verse one, as it says, "And you were dead in the trespasses and sins." What we need to realize is the reason we need grace is because we are dead. Without Christ, we are dead. That word trespass in this passage means to relapse. What it is showing a picture of is something that many of us have experienced this past year in the flu. Now there are two strands of the flu that went around and there is probably no one that experienced the flu more than the Hannah household. Because every one of them, I think, except your dad, got the flu. Now, what ended up happening was that first strand came through, knocked you all out, correct? So it knocked you all out. They're all at home. They just want to have family time, so they thought it would be really good to get a fever and throw up. So that's how they had their family time. And so after that went through, what ended up happening was who did someone else get sick about a week later? Mackenzie got sick with the strand too. Now, see, what happens as a result of sin is that we continue to relapse, And we will never get out of that relapse. And so no matter how much good we try to do, we continue to fall short and we continue to relapse into sin because we are dead. That word sin means shortcomings. In other words, we will never be able to attain the righteousness of God on our own. As it said, we will continue to relapse. Now we've got to look at this on a very even playing field here. Because we've got to realize as we look to the person to our left and the person to our right and even up here on stage and me out at you that we all fall short. The Bible says in Romans 3.10 that none is righteous, no, not one. We see in Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We understand in Romans 6.23 what sin earns us. It says, For the wages of sin is death. So what we earn, even when we try to do good, because we cannot be as good and as righteous as God, because the Bible says He is holy, He is set apart from all else. There is nothing in all creation like Him, because He is God, that when we even try to do good, our best is still worse. And we will continue to relapse. And so what we realize is that sin is the sickness that has entered the world, and as a result, we all are dead. Warren Wearsby writes, the unbeliever is not sick, he is dead. He does not need resuscitation, he needs resurrection. On August 14th, 2008, the Associated Press printed an article titled, Organ Donations. When can someone be declared dead? The following was written. 
A report on three heart transplants involving babies is focusing attention on a touchy issue in the organ donation field. When and how can someone be declared dead? For decades, organs have typically been removed only after doctors determine that a donor's brain has completely stopped working. In the case of the infants, all three were on life support and showed little brain function, but they didn't meet the criteria for brain death. With their family's consent, the newborns were taken off ventilators, and surgeons in Denver removed their hearts minutes after they stopped beating. The hearts were successfully transplanted, and the babies who got the hearts survived. So what do we see about our own need for a heart transplant? Well, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17:9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus elaborates even more as he tells us the stuff that comes out of our heart. As he writes in Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at ourselves in the mirror and realize that we are a sinful, selfish people. That we are not sick, but we are dead. We don't need CPR. We need life. We need a resurrection. We need a transplant. And the only transplant that can be given is the miracle of salvation, which only comes through Jesus Christ. Verse 4 and 5 says, But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, You have been saved. Wiersbe writes, love is one of God's intrinsic attributes. But when this love is related to sinners, it becomes grace and mercy. God is rich in mercy and in grace. And these riches make it possible for sinners to be saved. It comes as a shock for most people when they discover that they are not saved by God's love, but by God's mercy and grace. In His mercy, He does not give us what we do deserve. And in His grace, He gives us what we do not deserve. The Bible tells us that in God's very nature, He is love. It is who He is. He cannot be anything but that because that is who He is. In His character, in His core, God is love. And the way that God demonstrates His love for us is by providing grace and mercy. And He provided it on the cross. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The only way that we are resurrected, the only way that we can have a heart transplant is when we give our lives to Christ. The Bible tells us that we do so through our faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is the act of accepting God's grace. God presents His grace to us in many ways. But we only experience it when we accept it through faith. 
Somehow, I don't know, it must have come from my big mouth, apparently my sister told Emily, my fiance, that's weird to say, that I was going to propose to her in October. Or somehow she said to you, I don't know, something, whatever happened, she said I was going to do it in October. All right. I didn't do it in October. And so what happened as a result is there's this nice doghouse that was built and I got this little chain and got to live in it for a good little while when any time I was with her. No, I'm just kidding. I'm never in the doghouse. I'm, I'm perfect. All right. And so we, uh, so what happened as a result is she wanted that ring. Now, I mean, we were at a point, we both knew that we wanted to marry each other, okay? We both knew that. She knew it when we went to Long Ridge last April as we got to serve side by side. I knew it a little bit later in July when we were over um, in, in Europe. And so uh, that was when we chaperoned a trip. All right, I feel like I'm digging a big hole there. We, we chaperoned a trip. I met with both families. It's all good, right? Okay, good. All right, if you got any questions, come talk to me after. I'll have a little gathering at... At the welcome desk. Okay. But what happened as a result of all that is, you know, the, the, the trust factor is what happened. And so she thought one thing and she got another. Well, she got another because I'm fallible. I'm imperfect. I'm a human. Okay. I make mistakes. I don't know how that got out, but I mean, I couldn't think of anything worse than a trick or treat, uh, proposal, you know? And so it ended up being a trick. And so, uh, what happened is she didn't not trust me. But it kind of kind of had to take a step back because what she was really looking for was that fulfillment of my trust, which came through a ring. And I was thinking about that and thinking about the scripture and I was thinking about this passage and I realized that God's ring to us, God's engagement to us came on the cross. It was in that moment where he solidified his trust, where he solidified his love, where he showed his grace, where he showed his mercy, where he poured out his all for us. And it was in that moment when he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in that moment, his love was displayed better than any proposal, better than any display of love that our minds could ever comprehend. It came through his blood. It came through his grace. It came through his love. And it is through the cross that God shows us and ask us to accept his grace and to accept his mercy. And so we do so by faith. In faith, Emily trusted and to this day trusts that I'm going to lead her spiritually. That I'm going to love her in a way that the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to. And I know I'm going to make mistakes. I make them all the time. But that ring shows her love, and in faith, she accepted that love. And so in faith, God wants us to accept that love that was displayed on the cross. The second thing that God wants us to understand is this, that we are to never forget that only Jesus saves. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Listen to what it says. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What we've got to realize is that there is no reason whatsoever that we should boast in the salvation process. 
That we did not take the cross. That we don't have the power to overcome sin. That we don't have the power to overcome death. The only one who has the power is God. And the only one who can present that power is God. And He does so through His Holy Spirit. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The power of the gospel is spread through the power of God himself through the Holy Spirit. And God reveals himself in two ways to us so that we know him. The first is through his glory. Listen to what Romans 1, 19 through 20 says. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God reveals His glory through His nature, through this building, through these seats, through these projectors, through all the things that have been created. They were created because God gave man the knowledge to create them. All things were created for Him. All things were created by Him. And everything is for God's glory. And day in and day out, He presents His grace to us. And day in and day out, God puts you in situations to where He so desperately wants you to acknowledge Him, to love Him. And only He can orchestrate something so perfect and so powerful so we can experience His grace. Today I have some very special friends here. They came from China because they, they wanted to come all the way across the country because they love Village Church. They listen to us online. Isn't that right? They listened to us online, so they wanted to come. Y'all stand up just real quick. I don't want to embarrass you too much. Jason, you too, all right? That's Jason, Chuan, and Li Shi, all right? They came. They're from China. Yep. And Li Shi and Corey met when Corey was serving in China. You remember Corey, who was here this summer with us, served as an intern to the student ministry. And so Corey served... Over in China, I guess it was roughly, what, a year and a half or so ago when you met. And so he was over there, and he got some basketball shoes. You can correct me if I'm wrong. He got some basketball shoes, and he was kind of fed up because he had these shoes for two weeks, and they were already, I guess, worn out really bad. And he couldn't understand, okay, I bought these brand-new shoes. And, I mean, he bought them where they're made anyways in China. And so he, uh, he got them, and they were starting to run out. And so he goes to the shoe store. Inside the shoe store, Corey walks in. He's with his roommate at the time who was wearing a Clemson shirt. Lee Shi was coming to USC for grad school. She noticed the Clemson shirt and established, oh, that's in South Carolina as well. As a result, this friendship was formed. And as a result, Lee Shi has become really a part of our family. And so is Chuan and Jason is in the process. And so we play basketball together with each other as much as we can. They like to study a lot. I tell them we don't do that here in America. And so we uh, so I try to get them to come play basketball as much as we can. But they have become a part of our family. Now, I'll tell you that story because I want you to understand this, that God orchestrates stuff in ways that we can't begin to comprehend. I mean, do you think that it was just coincidence 
that they met in China? Do you think it was just coincidence that they spent Christmas here with us for the first time ever? Do you think it was just coincidence as a result that she was going to USC? I don't think so. Because even to this day, God is preparing them to understand that He places all things together so that we will know His grace, that we will experience His love. And as a result, it has been a blessing to me and a blessing to my family to have such dear friends that we would consider family across the world. Because I truly believe that God wants his message to not just end here, but to go beyond Blythewood, to go beyond South Carolina, to go beyond the sea and around the whole world, because that is the message of grace and mercy and love that God provided on the cross for us. So he puts these things together so that we have no room to boast in what he has provided. The last thing that God wants us to see in this passage is that we are to never forget that works reveals God's gift of grace. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I look at this passage and two questions immediately came to my mind. The first question is this. Does the act of doing good get us into heaven? And then the second question was, does the act of doing good come as a result of salvation? I think the answer to the first has been made clear as we've gone through the scripture that no, we can never do enough good to get into heaven. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So then I look at this and I have to think about what is my motivation behind doing good? Because I think what happens is we, we put ourselves in this, this spiritual lie, even for those who have stepped out and said, I am going to follow Christ. And we begin to do good things thinking that it is going to put us on this hierarchy of Christianity to where we look good for others because of the good things that we do. See, this is a scary place to be in. Because for some of you, it could just be this this form of sickness within Christianity. But for a lot of you, it could be this is what you originally thought allowed you to become a Christian. I think about baptism. What it signifies. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how that is what happened in your life. And so you so desperately want to let others know that Jesus is the one who is living within you. But I've been with a lot of people that the real motive behind their baptism is because they want you to think that they are good. That they want you to be pleased by them to think, well, they are a leader here in the church. And so that is someone to look up to. Some of us do good things. We serve other people because we think, well, someone else is going to look at me and and they're going to think that I'm a pretty good guy or a pretty good girl. 
And so they're going to think, well, I'm a better Christian than so-and-so. And so what happens is we begin to compare and contrast ourselves to other Christians. I was thinking about this and thinking about basketball. And, you know, I, I love playing basketball. And when I play basketball against the middle school guys or when we play football out there with the middle school guys, like, I could be a Heisman Trophy winner. But, I mean, what is that proving to anybody when you can play a bunch of middle schoolers and prove that you are good and that you, you can throw a ball? What they do. But if I were to stand next to uh, Cam Newton or anyone else in the NFL, all of a sudden I would be so belittled because my comparison is now against the greatest. See, we aren't to compare and contrast ourselves with each other. We are to compare ourselves to God. And the only way that we are able to compare ourselves to God and try to attain that glory is because of His grace that He has given us because He wants us to be like that. The Bible says that we are to be holy because He is holy. And we are going to fall short, but God's grace catches us. God's love holds us together and nothing can separate us from that. So what does Jesus say about this? As far as doing good things, he writes in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. To be seen by them, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. And on the streets to be honored by men, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We are to do good works to honor and to glorify our God. But the second question is, does the act of doing good come as a result of salvation? Yes, it does. That word workmanship is derived from the Greek word poema. It's where we get our word poem. It means that which is made a manufactured product. What it, is, what it means is that conversion is not the end. When you become a Christian, that is not the end. That is the beginning. When something is manufactured, it doesn't just sit in the box after it leaves the factory. No, it is to be put to use. See, God tells us that in Christ we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. God wants us to be used. There's a reason why Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you to the fullest. Because He wants us to be used for His glory. And the good works that come as a result allow others to see the grace and the love and the mercy that God has given us through His cross. Our actions are a demonstration of our faith. But our actions do not save us or give us any eternal merit towards salvation. So why do we do good? Why should we want to do good? It's simple. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. This past week I stumbled upon a story. It was written by a nurse who would record uh, different daily situations as she wrote them in her journal. And this was something that she recorded, and I want to read it to you aloud. Here's what she said. It was a busy morning at the clinic. 
About 8.30 when an elderly gentleman in his 80s arrived to have stitches removed from his thumb. He said he was in a hurry as he had another appointment around 9 a.m. I took his vital signs and had him take a seat, knowing it would be over an hour before someone else would be able to see him. I saw him looking at his watch and decided since I was not busy with another patient that I would evaluate his wound. On exam, it was well healed, so I talked to one of the doctors, got the needed supplies to remove the sutures, and redressed the wound. While taking care of his wound, I asked him if he had another doctor's appointment this morning as he was in such a hurry. The gentleman leaned over and told her, no, that he needed to go to the nursing home to eat breakfast with his wife. I inquired as to her health. As we talked, I asked if she would be upset if he was a little bit late. He replied that she no longer knew who he was. That she had not recognized him for three years now. I was surprised and asked him, and you still go every morning even though she doesn't know who you are? He smiled and patted me on the hand. And he said, she doesn't know me, but I still know who she is. Isn't that a great picture of God's grace? He knows each and every one of us. He created us in His own image. And He so desperately wants to show us His love and His mercy and to have that relationship with Him. Yet as a result of sin, we sit unknowing our God because we are not willing to step out in faith. And accept him as our Lord and as our Savior. Church, my challenge is this. Do you know Jesus? Can you look back on your life and think of a moment when you really met him and surrendered your life to him? Do you know him? He has made himself known to you. But do you know him? But then there's other group of you here today, too, that you do know him. But maybe things aren't going the way that you necessarily thought they would go. But you need that freshness that you need to look back and remember that moment when God lifted you up from death and gave you that transplant and breathed life into your soul. And you need to rejoice in that and move forward into this new year, proclaiming that Jesus is your King and that Jesus is your Lord.